Hi, today is November 17th, 2023. Just finished streaming at Twitch. Uh, my name is Juni, and welcome to the Theta Game Podcast. I'm not a financial advisor, and nothing I say is financial advice. I'm literally just a normal retail trader, just like you. I'm not certified or a graduate of finance, just a regular trader that started on Wall Street Bets years ago. I've lost a lot of money and made some of it back and more after finding a system that worked for me. I share my trades, system, and experiences all for free. Learn from my mistakes and get a better start than me, or use my experiences to help you rebound after you trying to time the market one too many times. You can view my trades all for free at datagang.com slash juni. No sign up required. Seriously, just go to that link. Everything's there. No pop-up, no ads. And email me any questions that I'll answer on the podcast at juni at datagang.com. Lastly, I stream on Twitch every day the market is open for at least an hour at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Come hang out, ask me questions, vent, or just chill. It's a positive environment and everyone is welcome at twitch.tv slash real Thank you and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, first up, new updates for the ThetaGang.com website. Um, there's now a cost basis graph for the ThetaGang tracker. Um, you know, some people are saying maybe like, why do you put a cost basis graph in the tracker? Uh, why do you even track cost basis in, on ThetaGang.com? And it's because brokerage apps actually don't track it for you. They might track your profit loss, but they don't track keep track of your cost basis. Uh, I built the Thaygang Tracker to help me keep track of my own cost basis, and that helps me pick the strikes I sell my covered calls, and it also helps me pick the strikes of where I uh, sort of sell my cash-secured puts. It's a very real-world uh, sort of feature uh, that I use for myself, and I hope you guys enjoy using it uh, for your own trades. And lastly, there is now a events tab on the left-hand side of the website. If you click on events, you'll see all the earnings that have happened and are coming up within a two-week time frame as well as uh, FOMC meeting dates and as well as the CPI number or inflation numbers. Um, this existed before in version 3 but now that we're on version 4 of the website it was previously axed as it wasn't an easy transition or like a copy and paste of code into version 4 so I had to rewrite it put some time into making it look better uh, show up faster you know, use less data, all that fun stuff that goes into engineering, something like that. Uh, and then now it's available for you to look at at datagang.com slash events. Okay, uh, next up, I want to talk about my 5k account. I opened this to sort of show uh, how to trade responsibly using a datagang style sort of trade method. Um, you know, I open all these trades on stream on twitch.tv slash real theta gang. Uh, and I just set a 50% trigger on these things and they, they've been pretty successful this far. Um, going to my like 5k account here. Um, thankfully I've only lost one time. I've won a total of seven trades now so far. And the account is at all time high. Uh, at $5,225.24, give or take a few cents right now as I'm recording this while the market's still open on Friday. You know, I'm not doing anything fancy. I'm just writing put credit spreads and occasional short iron condor. Um, I do, however, next week want to open a wheel on either uh, Gap or Nordstrom because retail has been doing pretty well as of late. And I think the cost basis on attaining 100 shares of either Nordstrom or Gap is not that bad, um, but we still have to dodge sort of Nordstrom earnings, which I'm waiting for on Wednesday. So if you want to see how to run like a, a smaller sized wheel, um, that's a style of trading, by the way, where you buy shares, let them get called away, write a cash secure, secured put, all that good stuff. You want to learn more about that, feel free to tune in on the stream uh, next week. And speaking of the stream, the stream has been doing really, really well. When I first started streaming um, after coming back, I had an average count of maybe five or six um, average viewers per stream. It was always like 5.6, 5.8, something, something like that. Right now, we're at an average viewer count of 20 plus. We're at either 21 or 22. It fluctuates. Um, it's been fluctuating this week. 
but it's been really awesome seeing that the chat is growing, becoming more active, and seeing more people show up. If you haven't had the chance to stop by, uh, feel free to stop by. Again, that's twitch.tv slash realthetagang. I show my main portfolio that has like about 310K being managed right now. I'm all-time high on that account as well. I have 74.5K um, profit loss year to date so far. Uh, and I think one of the cooler points where, you know, when I'm trading my main account is like I'm not just showing uh, like a lot of ca- uh, money put into SPY and then showing off my gains there. I trade individual stocks um, like NVIDIA, AMD, Costco, like stocks that you would know about instead of these really random ETFs and stuff. I want to make sure that when I'm showing off my trades and talking about my trades and logging my trades, that's as easy to understand as possible. Because like I say in my intro, I'm just a normal retail trader. I'm not trying to min-max really anything. I'm just trying to show that like if you go through the motions, you show up for your losses and show up for your wins through enough experience, you can make this sort of a, like a recurring pattern. So continue to show that live on twitch.tv slash realthetagang. That's me showing my main account. That's around 310K now, built from like 80K back in like 2019. Um, and then now uh, also my 5K account that I've started about two weeks ago that I'm also all-time high on right now. And real quick before we head on to the next section, I just do want to remind everybody that this is all free. Like you don't need to sign up for my platform or anything. You can go to datagang.com slash Juni or datagang.com slash Juni5K and you'll see my accounts and all my trades there. And or you could go to twitch.tv slash real datagang and then view my sort of like trading process, uh, my thinking process, my due diligence process, hang out with other traders. It's a good time at twitch.tv slash real datagang, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Thank you. All right, next up, we have news this week. Uh, News this week that was pretty profound was the consumer price index. Um, I just think about this number as the inflation number. Uh, These numbers are released every uh, next month about the previous month. So the number that just got reported this week was the number reported for last month. For example, uh, the current month is November as I'm recording this, and we got the CPI or consumer price index numbers for October. In October, the consumer price index or CPI only grew 3.2%. Analysts thought it would grow by 3.3%, and it's only a 0.1 difference, which seems like a small beat, but this is great news as inflation is on its way down to 2%. Inflation has been slowing down since April with declines that we're still seeing from this latest report. Uh, This is good news for the market because if we stop raising rates, retail traders will explore higher risk opportunities, putting money into the stock market instead of the high interest rate bonds or savings accounts. The Fed does want to see a nice trend of the CPI going down like the one that we've been having. Um, And this latest report has made traders feel like that while cutting rates might not be on the table, uh, a continued pause is almost definite. The entire market was up big time on Wednesday, leading both my 5K account and main account to reach all-time high for the year. I'm sure that this is also the same for many other people, but wow, Wednesday was a very, very green day this week. Next up, we have uh, companies' earnings reports that happened this week. Uh, Home Depot reported. They reported an earnings and revenue beat, although Home Depot sales were down 3% year over year, probably from the pressure from interest rates affecting purchases of homes. This makes this the fourth quarter in a row where sales were down. And earlier, I just mentioned that earnings and revenue uh, were beat, but this was only beating expectations. If you expect that it will go down 4% and it goes down only 3%, it could be viewed as a good thing, uh, proving more that earnings are dangerous because, yeah, sales are down year over year. might not sound as good, but as long as you beat those expectations, that could be a good thing. Later, we'll hear of companies that do beat earnings and revenue expectations but instead go down, and there's just really no logic to 
all of this. It just really depends on, you know, what people decide to buy and sell at. Um, usually the whoever has the largest stakehold in this sort of trade influences the price the most. But having it depend on any sort of metric is really, really tricky because there's all kinds of reasons why a good report could lead to a stock going down and vice versa. Total transaction volume has fallen for Home Depot, but the average transaction size has stayed roughly the same. This means while um, customers might be visiting or buying things less often, their shopping carts are still about the same in value, um, being around like $87. Home Depot, at the end of the day, was trading about 5% higher. Next up, we have a company that I have shares in, um, 200 shares to be specific. You can check that out on my Twitch stream and or my Theta Gang profile. Uh, Target beat on revenue and earnings per share estimates. Um, they are seeing weaker discretionary spending, though. That means like buying things like non-essentials like clothes and maybe home improvement sort of stuff. Um, Target is especially hit because they sell a heavier mix of clothing home goods and impulse purchases year over year target sales have dropped five percent and digital sales declined by six percent that could be because during the code rally everyone was sort of reselling things and buying things for their home but now that has cooled off we're still seeing some of that growth trickle off um, leading to actual drops in revenue and digital sales However, despite the slowing year-over-year -year gain, second quarter to third quarter net income increased by 36%, which is a large, large margin. A lot of this has to do with how Target previously in the 2021 and 2022 sort of retail boom, they bought a lot of inventory because they thought people would keep buying things. But as rates got up, discretionary spending has gone down, so they had to mark those inventory items at a discount. Uh, and in doing so, they received either less margin or less profit on those items, or they received more loss. So as that inventory has been sort of um, churned through, and they're starting to just remanage and reorganize how much they're bringing in inventory per store, they're making that more optimal, leading to better margins and better profits, which explains the 36% increase in net income quarter over quarter. Target also did at the end of their report, um, they did seem to lowball the fourth quarter estimate, the fourth quarter coming up for the holiday season. They said that the fourth quarter would be much like the third quarter, indicating that there won't be nearly as much uh, growth from the second to third quarter as there will be for the third to fourth, the one again coming up for like Christmas time. Um, but this could also, and this is where my tinfoil hat goes on my head a little bit and this is where i start to think um oh, maybe they're lowballing the fourth quarter so then in the event that they beat it it's just seen as a surprise and then you know it just makes the stock just look all that much better you know okay i'll take off my tinfoil hat now uh target was up 15 percent for the day which was huge you know i was just about like break even on my target shares um just holding it for this long uh, and it felt good. Now I feel like I have a really good cost basis and I just still have 200 shares and I'm chilling. I previously went in mainly because the dividend yield started looking really good. It was like about 4%. It's a little bit less now because of this like a 50% gain that's had recently. Um, but I like Target. Target's pretty cool. Next up, we have Walmart. Walmart beat on earnings per share and revenue and also guided up on revenue and earnings per share for the next full entire year. Operating cash flow and e-commerce divisions grew 15% globally and 24% in the U.S. That is super good news, but the stock traded down 8%. I can't believe that. You know, I talk about examples of earnings being dangerous all the time. This is probably prime example number one. You have your e-commerce division growing 15 and 24 percent that's huge and the craziest part is that i was looking up you know what reasoning uh, you know walmart could have for going down eight uh, percent despite this like really good earnings report and the biggest headline that i could talk about is how uh, walmart was just worried about the holiday season as like they saw that the trajectory of you know uh, store sales being like very whipsawy or like very hard to predict and Target said the exact same thing, but Target was up 15%, you know? So 
it, it really is just dangerous trading earnings. I, I hope that this is a great example of a podcast episode where I have a very, I have like basically an example of each sort of scenario of a stock going up with bad guidance or a stock going down because of um, bad guidance uh, or and a stock that beat on estimates but had worse sales going up 15%, you know? So it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Anyone saying that they have a system for beating uh, earnings reports, oh, man, that is red flag number six probably. <laughs> There's so many red flags, but this is definitely one of them. And to close off the earnings report, we have Macy's. Macy's, um, I used to shop here all the time with my parents. Um, not stuff for me, but more for my like stepdad and my mom. Stepdad would be buying suits. My mom would be buying pants. Um, sometimes we buy like jewelry from there for, for them or something, or cologne, perfume, ties, like all, all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember being so bored, like, especially when my Game Boy, like, ran out of battery. Like, I would go read, like, random labels. I would, like, lay down in between, like, the sort of, like, you know, the racks of clothes with the clothes hangers. And there would be, like, clothes on four sides. And then there would be, like, that empty space in the middle. I'd, like, just, like, sit in the middle of those and, like, just, I don't know. I just pass time that way. I remember these memories, like, so distinctly. It's so crazy. But anyway... Uh, Macy's had a great earnings. They did a lot to reduce uh, leftover inventory and improve margins, right? This is very similar to how Target reported uh, reducing leftover inventory um, and they're improving margins by like not having to sell things on sale as much. Um, their expected earnings per share was zero, okay? Um, now, that was an expected per, uh, earnings per share of zero, meaning like they're not going to lose any money for the quarter. They're not going to gain any money uh, for the quarter. But instead, they made $0.20 cents or $0.21 cents instead of zero. This, in terms of stock earnings, is huge, uh, which is a huge beat and surprise. Uh, I looked it up just for fun. This is going to be a ridiculous number. But on Google, it said this was a 3,483% surprise. It's a wild number, but I thought it was just funny. Um, they also guided up and gave really rosy guidance for the holidays. That's very unlike Target and Walmart. Uh, but Macy's being optimistic for the holiday season um, made it sound like that could have been the main reason why it was up 5.7% for the day. Related to Macy's is Gap. So Gap with the stock ticker GPS it opened up thirty. It opened up twenty percent, and then went up another ten percent um, this week because they beat expectations on revenue and earnings per shares. Um, but the same store sales have seen an inflection point, meaning the same store sales has started to go up. It's been going down since um, sort of the reopening since the COVID rally. Uh, but seeing that same sort of sales is going up is indicating that there's an inflection point at the bottom as Gap has been going down a lot since sort of the COVID lockdown has been over. Um, but one of the cooler notes here is that that Gap um, is the owner of Old Navy, Old Navy being like the discount brand as opposed to Gap, which is like the more premium brand. Um Old Navy is 50 plus percent of their sales. So what we see here is that stores like Macy's, Ross, and uh, Old Navy are up. And it's showing that like while people are still open to discretionary spending, like on clothes, the shoppers are looking for discounts. And it's cool seeing that there's a trend here happening with Old Navy going up, Macy's going up. Macy's also being a department store known for like more cheaper clothes, maybe clothes that are, you know, more in bulk, you know, less stylish maybe, but more, it's like, it's cheaper. Maybe it's like a step up from Ross. And then there's Old Navy, which is obviously maybe the cheapest Mm, no, I'd say Old Navy is pretty on par with Ross these days. Ross, has, Ross items have gotten pretty expensive as of late. But all of these that have one thing in common being like discounted clothes and they've been going up. So keep that in your sort of keep that on your radar as we go forward, as I think this could mean something pretty good for Nordstrom. But we'll see Nordstrom being the probably the most premium of these three that I've just mentioned. Um but, uh, yeah, they report next week on Wednesday. I'll be watching that um, because I want to get into Nordstrom. 
but I don't want to risk anything, so I'm just going to wait until after the earnings report and then go from there. Uh, I thought about opening a, a gap position or a, like a gap clothing position. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's a trading style. I'm talking about the company gap. I wanted to open like maybe a, a like 100 shares of gap or something today, but I think I'd much rather just be in Nordstrom um, in terms of uh, just like a stock position. So I'll just wait until after earnings when I have all of the information for the current quarter, see if it lines up with anything that I've seen from this earning this earnings week with the Macy's, Ross, and Gap, um, and then make my decision then. All right, uh, to the meat of the episode today, we're going to be talking about buying options. Originally. I was going to have this episode dedicated to like optimizing the amount of premium you can receive per day and what the differences are between a shorter expiration and a farther expiration. But I feel like it would go over a lot of people's heads that are sort of returning to the podcast as I have um, in this season two. I don't know how different sort of um, uh, apps are recording this sort of um dial uh, this directory of podcast episodes that i've been having but these these latest ones i've been tagging on my rss.com side uh as season two so i want to start season two from a fresh start almost and i'm going to start off um with talking about buying options and in a more conversational sort of style similar to like my earlier episodes when i first started and just giving like an updated sort of perspective on how i would reword those sort of examples or if anything changes at all we'll see but yeah i thought that maybe buying options would be a good place to start then the next episode being selling options and then going into the specific strategies and then lastly following up with like optimizations like receiving premium per day so let's get started we're gonna hop into you know what i how i would sort of present buying options to someone that was newer um starting off with like what 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 it is what it means uh and then all the way getting to like maybe some of the fundamentals of what i've learned about buying options in my like four years of experience now so let's get into it whenever you've seen someone buying calls or saying that they've bought calls or bought puts uh they are buying options or that can there's a synonym they could be buying contracts like call contracts and put contracts one of the most defining characteristics of a option or say contract those are both synonyms you can use those interchangeably um, is that they expire so buying a call or buying a put expires on a specific date typically these dates are on friday um, but there are other contracts maybe for the SPY or QQQ or any other of the big ETFs. Some of them can expire on Wednesday. So it's not only on Friday, uh, but these expiration dates are typically Fridays. It's wild. I know you're probably asking like, why would I ever want to buy something that expires in the stock market? That doesn't sound very Warren Buffetty, And that is true. Um, Warren Buffett, I'm sure, does not buy calls and buy puts if he thinks something will go up or down. I don't think that's something that is in his repertoire. R- rather, he does preach very heavily about just buying stocks, being responsible, and that's what he's known for. But under the hood, there are responsible ways to buy options, and there's responsible ways to also sell or aka write options, which we'll go over in a later episode. But um, first, we need to learn why you would ever want to do this even in a responsible manner a call option we'll start with just one side first a call option um, is a contract that lets you say buy the shares of a stock at a certain price it doesn't make you need to buy shares at a certain price and that's a very important distinction which is and it's one of the more like fundamental ones that everyone else's sort of like explanation starts off with it's the right to buy at a specific price not that you have to buy at a specific price okay now that we know that a call contract is the right to buy a stock at a certain price Let's start thinking like more on the Wall Street bet side, okay? Because that's definitely one of the more easier 
examples or communities to sort of base this around off of and understand from is why would you ever want to buy a call contract? Okay, so let's do a real world example here. I'm gonna even bring up um, my favorite example of like all time. It's always Apple stock, but when I recorded this earlier, maybe four years ago in 2019 or 20, yeah, 2019 I think is when I recorded my first episode. Uh, I used that Apple was trading at um, $100, but right now I wanna actually do the real value of Apple and we'll go from there. So right now, right now Apple is trading at 189. We'll just sort of round that up to 190. Uh, and so if I wanted to buy a call contract, like why would I wanna do that with Apple? All right, I'm very naive, okay? I, I just found out about options. I found out that like a lot of people are making a lot of money um, buying options, rarely losing, because I only see gains from the people that are sharing it on social media because they never share their losers. So I have this unrealistic expectation that buying calls is going to win me a lot of money. Now, if I think that Apple will go up, I will buy calls that are maybe like the 200 strike price or the one that lets me buy shares of Apple at 200. And then now you're thinking, well, Juni, um, Apple is currently trading at 190. Why, why would you want the right to buy at 200? That makes no sense. Cause you think it's going to go up. And why, why would you want the right to buy at a higher number? When do you want the right to buy at a lower number? That's true. The right to buy at a lower number or one that is closer to the actual stock price or the current stock price is more probable. Like there is a more of a chance that you will have the right to buy at that price, thus leading that call contract to be more expensive. The more probable a call contract is to be uh, sort of correct or the correct term is like in the money, the more expensive it's going to be. So me being this very naive beginner options trader, I'm going to buy the 200 call contract for Apple that maybe expires next week or maybe expires this week. But because I'm buying the 200 call, that's gonna need like a 5% move in a very short time frame because I'm buying an expiry date that's very close, okay? The chance of this, not likely to happen, but if it does, I make quite a bit of money. And this is where the buying calls and buying puts gets really, really, really dangerous because you start looking at, you know, what are the cheapest calls to buy? You know, what are the cheapest puts to buy? And you go further and further out the money or AKA, you know, further away from the current stock price because they're cheaper, they're less probable to happen. Um, and you start just hoping that it does go in that direction uh, so you can make a good amount of gains. Because for the price of maybe like one call at the current strike price, uh, you know, betting that it would move in just one direction um, from where it is right now, um, you could buy maybe 10 of the contracts that are further out, maybe at 200 um, you know, or $10 away. And that could be seen as very lucrative because as the price goes up, say it does go up rapidly, you don't only have one contract going up in value, you have 10 contracts going up in value. So sometimes you can get like, it's these crazy profit percentages of like a thousand or 10,000% if you're buying hundreds of these out the money or far away um, from the current stock price contracts and then actually getting in the money. But this is a very improbable event. Those that happen um, to receive these events happen to them where you buy these contracts that are very far out the money or far away from the current strike price and then it getting to that price. For example, if I bought like 100 of these uh, 200 call strikes um, that expired maybe this week for Apple and Apple did in fact reach 200, I would make a lot of money. But the chance of it is happening very low. So it's this like push-pull balance of finding the right strike versus how much you pay for it 
because you need this to be a winning strategy at the very end of the day. You need this to be repeatable at the end of the day because if you just go in trying to be lucky on every single play you do, your gains and or your losses are very unpredictable. But we like a predictable sort of path or process when we're doing any sort of options trading. So by now, you should understand that if the stock goes up and you've bought in a call contract, that your call contract is up and that you have made some unrealized gains, gains you have not taken off the table. Exiting call contracts is one of the hardest parts about buying options that there is. When you buy options, you're always racing against time because as time goes on, your call contract or your put contract gets less and less probable, right? Especially if you continue to be out of the money or, you know, you buy a 200 call contract and maybe Apple is trading at 197, you know, it's gone up like $7 from 190, but still not at 200. If it's not at 200 by the time that your call expires, you're going to lose money. And we haven't even taken account of the fact that you've paid for this option. So you have to get it past even 200, just a little bit more because you paid money to enter this position. So your break even is even a bit higher than 200. But let's just talk about this process real quick, okay? So at Apple trading at 190, I buy the um, 200 call. If Apple the next day trades at 193, I'm up on my call and it's not even at 200 yet. It's just because that the Apple trading at 193, that my 200 call has become more probable. It has become, it has had a much better chance to win than the day before because the day before is trading at 190. So with it going to 193, I'm presented with sort of a dilemma. Do I sell now or do I sell later? Everyone has their different profit targets. I talked about it briefly on the last podcast episode. I said that if you're long on options, you probably want to exit for about 30% um, of your sort of uh, buy-in position. Once you make 30% gains, I would suggest on exiting, but a lot of people have their own percentages, so we'll just continue on with the example. So you're presented with the dilemma of should I sell or should I hold on to it? What's the chance of this getting to 200 that's going to be a sort of learning experience that you'll go through as you buy options and you go through these whips of ups and downs with the uh, stock market. But something that this point was supposed to sort of teach you is that you can exit this call contract at any time. Uh, once you make a gain on it, you can sell right away. If you're losing on it, say it turns red, you can close it right away. This sort of back and forth push and pull is something that you need to master as you learn more and more about call contracts or and put contracts for example it's just be about being on the buy side buying options is very tricky you know it's like how when do you again when do you close this out for a loss when you close this um, for a gain um, something that helps you sort of manage that or manage those uh, sort of decisions is knowing what your break even is right like Say, for example, this 200 call, uh, this is a, very much an example. It would not actually cost as much to go this far away from the current strike price or current, current stock price. If Apple's trading currently at 190, if you bought the 200 call, let's say, for example, it costs 100 bucks. This price that you paid of $100 is usually denoted in your brokerage app as, like, in this case, it'd be one dollar you know the price that you see for the bid and ask for a call contract or put contract is in these smaller de denominations as just like the dollar value per share but a call contract and put contract represents a hundred shares so you would multiply it by a hundred so if you spent a hundred dollars on a call contract it would actually show up as one dollar in the brokerage app and that's because it makes it easier just to do math on the entire trade so if a call contract represents that you could buy a hundred shares at two hundred dollars in this case it costs one hundred dollars to enter that trade or aka buy that call contract you divide one hundred dollars the one hundred dollars that you spent divide that by a hundred aka the amount of shares you're allowed to buy with that one call contract that gets you one dollar you add that $1 to your strike price, aka the bet that you're taking. You're saying, hey, I think it's going to get to $200, but 
but you spent money to get into that trade. So you add that $1 that we calculated before onto 200 and you get 201. 201 is your break even on that Friday it expires. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Junie, that was a lot of math for me to do while I'm driving my car on my commute, or that's a lot of math to do without a notepad because I'm on the commute to via train somewhere. Um, it's it's math that you will eventually learn just by trading options. I didn't like go and learn how to calculate my break even before I did my first options trade. Like I don't think honestly anyone does. I think it's a very unrealistic example, though it would be awesome if you could do it because you would have a better start than me. But I could also understand, you know, the excitement of wanting to just get in there and get started because you, again, just like you, I was probably like mesmerized by all the gains that I saw in Robinhood and Wall Street Bets and all this stuff. So, you know, knowing your break even on expiration day is really important because as expiration day gets closer, you get to start doing this mental math of like, okay, how how probable do I really think it'll take to get to 201, right? When I first said this example of buying the 200 call, if you've never heard any of this math or any of this these reasonings up until now in this podcast, you'd be like, okay, as long as Apple gets to 200, I'll make money on this call. But that's actually incorrect because you spent money to buy this call. And that's that's the that's the sort of like little tidbit of information that I'd, I'd love for to stick around the most in your head is you need to know your break even at the end of the trade because some people will buy call options that are really, really expensive. Um, and then they won't know that because they spent so much on this call contract that even though it reaches your strike price, at expiration day, you're still going to be at a loss because you spent money. So you need to know what your break even is. Maybe the day before um, my Apple contract expires, you know, I bought the 200 call. Um, maybe Apple's trading it at 199 you know. Um, if I was not educated on this topic, maybe I think, oh, all it needs to do is go up one more dollar, you know. Maybe it needs to just go up one more dollar. But if I've listened to this podcast or I did some due diligence on my own and learned how break-evens work, I would actually know that it needs to go up two more dollars for me to even make one cent or one dollar on the trade, okay? So understanding where you win is important because that can help you make your decisions on when to exit. As time goes on in your call contract or put contract, uh, your time is ticking. You need to make a decision soon. Uh, and knowing where you lose, aka where you also win, aka your break even, helps you make that decision. I talked about um, your call contract or your put contract um, costing a lot. You know, um, some of you might think like, "Oh, are all call contracts sort of priced the same?" It just depends on the distance um, from the current price. And the answer is no. A call contract on say Ford will be, oh, actually, that's a that's actually not a good example right now. It used to be a good example, but ever since they got into electric vehicles, uh, they've gone a little bit volatile. Um, let's say, for example, 3M. Uh, if, you, if you guys and girls don't know what 3M is, 3M is that company that makes, like, personal protective equipment, um, like masks, and they make tape. Like, you might have gotten some tape from 3M before. They make very fundamental stuff, like very very boring. They're very, their stock goes up and to the right maybe. And then like very slowly, very predictable, uh, very boring stock. Then you look at a stock like Tesla, very exciting, goes up a lot, goes down a lot. Electric vehicles are just like getting popular and all this news comes out like every other day if influencing stock price. It's going to be very volatile. When a stock is more volatile, it has a higher volatility premium. When something is more volatile, the move is moves are more expected, like either up or down. So if you buy a call contract, Tesla has a much more higher chance of going up faster than say 3M, right? So the more volatile a stock is deemed to be, the more expensive the call contract seems to be. And then boom, you start to realize, wow, buying a call contract on Tesla is really expensive. And you know, if we look at Tesla right now, where's Tesla trading at? Tesla is trading at 
two thirty four. I buy the two thir- I buy maybe like the two fifty. You know, um, uh, let me see here two fifty. Buying the two fifty, it going up twelve dollars in a week, which is wild. Okay, I have to spend a hundred dollars to make that trade. So that's probably the better example that I should have made for this podcast episode. But that's crazy. The chances of this um, trade working is about 14%. And you have to pay 100 whole dollars for this to work. But 250, the strike, we know that that's only the strike. We have to pay $112 for this to work. So we need the price to be at least $251.12 to make this work. That's nuts. You need that strike price to you need the current price to be $12 higher plus one more dollar for the $100 that you spent to get into this trade. Um and that's wild to me. Uh for example, let's go to 3M or MMM is the stock ticker. Same uh amount of time on this, 7 days. Um and then a trade that is very similar with a 16% chance to win is only $20. Because it's not going to happen, right? Like um, 3M, chances of going up uh, this much with a 16% chance to win only pays 20 bucks. A 16% chance to win bet on Tesla costs 112 bucks. So it definitely depends on what company you purchase or uh, you buy calls or puts on. Um, but just know that the more volatile a company is, the more expensive the option will be. And lastly, to wrap this all up, I talked about the more probable an option is, the more expensive it is. I've talked briefly about uh, something mysterious called the expiration date. If you want more time to be correct, you are buying something that is more probable to happen. For example, this Apple 200 call. If I bought one, let's say, let's start using the real world examples here. Um, if I wanted to buy an Apple 200 call, it would cost me $4. So my example before was very, very outrageous. But like, for example, for, for a real example, it would cost $4 to bet that Apple is going to be above $200 in seven days. Now let's look at if I wanted 28 days to be correct, because, you know, maybe I say like Apple's going to go up, but I don't think Apple's going to go up to 207 days. But what about maybe like 63 days? In 63 days, maybe Apple will trade above 200. Um, and that bet for 63 days, aka like two months to be correct on this thing, costs about uh, $200 or to be exact, $195. Um, and to get the break even of this trade, what do we do? We add the premium that we paid for this contract, aka we're paying $200 to get this 200 call. That's a little confusing, but you divide the $200 that we paid by 100 because uh, a call contract represents 100 shares. That equals $2. We add $2 to 200, our bet. In 63 days, we need Apple to be trading above $202 for this to make money, which sounds, honestly, it sounds possible it still sounds unreasonable like i would never put on this sort of long trade to bet that apple would go up this much but it's possible because i'm giving so much time of two months on this trade some of you might have now the brilliant idea why don't i just buy a call option that expires next year right and maybe in one year from now those are called leaps i don't like those because those, in fact, do expire, I'd much rather just buy the stock. But that's an episode topic maybe for another time. Um, but you start to start now seeing that uh, the more time you have on a contract means you are more probable to be correct, which thus means the call contract will be more expensive. One last thing. I did, in this meat of the episode, talk about um, buying puts as well. Like I've, I talk about buying calls and puts like interchangeably. Um, puts are just the other side. And to be honest, buying puts is going to be probably a more probable event for me and my main portfolio than buying calls. 
uh, because I don't like betting on a specific direction to be able to write to buy shares at a discount. I rather protect the shares that I own. So for example, buying puts is the right to sell. So for example, I have um, 200 target shares, right? And let's say, um, you know, I'm scared that target will go down in the near term future. And so maybe in like 28 days, um, I think target might go below where it's currently trading right now. Target right now is at 130. It's trading for $130 and buying the um, 130 put w for 28 days would mean that, hey, I think that target will trade below 130 um, in the next 28 days. And if target starts going down, my puts start to profit because this is sort of like insurance or it's like hedging on the way down. But this trade is not for free. Just like buying calls, I also have to buy the puts. So this put at 130 costs about $300. We divide 300 by 100, AKA three. And instead of adding it to the strike price, this time because we're uh, buying puts, we're gonna subtract it from the strike price. So at the end of 28 days, at the very least to make money, if I don't exit early, I need target to be uh, at 127 because we subtracted three from the strike price that we bought. This in a nutshell is me buying insurance for my shares and is a responsible way to sort of buy puts is if you expect some sort of downwards movement, you want to protect your stock position, but you don't want to sell your stocks, maybe because you're looking for long-term gains on your tax bracket or the way that you pay um, taxes on your stock positions because you do receive a pretty large benefit if you're able to hold on to your shares for a prolonged period of time, you get taxed differently uh, as opposed to realizing short-term gains or realizing long-term capital gains. Um, so, you know, it, there is some incentive to not selling your stock like ever, but rather just continually hedging it with maybe puts whenever you think it might go down. But that's a whole other episode topic, but this would be a responsible way to buy puts. Other people, for example, if you don't own the stock, maybe you're just from Wall Street Bets, you're you just learned about buying calls and you're like, you know what, I just watched the big short. I think the stock market will go down. You start just exploring the other side, right? Like we just talked about the extreme example where uh, we thought that Apple would go up. So we buy the very out the money, very far away 200 call. If Apple is currently trading at 190 and we think the stock market is going to crash, we might buy the 180 put, which is the exact same sort of math and scenario as buying the call that's out the money, but instead you're betting that it will go down. So if you want to give this sort of a section, a repeat listen, it, you can just replace the word with put and just like vice versa, all the directions and on whatnot, it, it would still um, be relevant. Puts and calls still have that same, the more probable it is, the more expensive it will be. So again, uh, puts on Tesla are going to be more expensive than 3M, for example, um, just much like that case. And any sort of option that has a longer amount of time is just more probable than ones that have shorter amounts of time. So any ones that have longer periods of time on it or theta, you know, or time premium is going to be more expensive. So that was pretty good. We talked about um, the right to buy and the right to sell, aka calls and puts. We talked about the strike price that's like betting in a certain direction. Um, and we talked about that you need to pay for these things. These options contracts are not free. Uh, and you know, the price that you pay for these options go into your break even. Understanding where your break even is on the last day of expiration is important because up until then you're allowed to, you know, close out for a gain, close out for a loss. But if you hold it till expiration, it's pretty important to know where you break even on the trade, and that's how much you paid for it versus the strike price and all that good stuff. And we learned that maybe calls are very directional, right? If you buy a call, it's a very directional play. If you buy a put and you own the shares, it can be seen as like an insurance type of play. Otherwise, if you don't own the shares, it, it's the same thing as buying a, out the money call. It's gonna be considered a directional play. Next week, we'll talk about selling calls and selling puts and what that just means in general because this episode was very tailored to buying these contracts, 
But something that I did not get into was that someone has to take the other side of this bet. The other side of this bet is, you know, if I'm buying a call, someone's selling me a call. And what does that mean? If I'm buying a put because I think the stock will go down, someone has to sell me this put. How does this work? And, you know, where does this contract come from? And that's where we get into what writing a contract means or a.k.a. selling a contract means in next week's episode. And like I said, uh, after we learn um, more about buying calls and puts like we did in this episode and then selling calls and puts in next week's episode, then we'll start getting into like optimizing like, okay, like what does open interest mean? Uh, Why is it important? What is an optimum amount of premium to pay for a call contract? What's the optimal amount of premium to sell or write a call contract? And all that good stuff. I want to make sure that everyone is on the most possible even level playing field uh, before I get into the nitty gritty of things. And like I mentioned in the intro and some of the earlier parts of this podcast episode, um, I don't only just talk on this podcast. I actually show all of my trades, my entire process. I trade on Robinhood to make it look even simpler um, as, or as simple as possible. So if you want to go to twitch.tv slash real theta gang, uh, I trade there every morning or aka afternoon if you're on Eastern time, but every morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time where I trade in a 5K account responsibly and I show how to trade a, um, a 5K account um, that's smaller. I still think, um, being realistic here, that 5K is kind of small to do these sort of trades, but I go into more in depth on why I have that opinion. Um, and then I also trade in my main portfolio, which is about like 310K um, in, uh, in just value. Uh, I have about 75K in profit there. Uh, and I have about like $220 in profit on my 5K account. Uh, so if you want to see me trade live and hang out with people, it's not just me sort of just like in my terminal doing my thing. I love answering questions. I love asking people about their day, what they're going to do later. A lot of people are just like using me as second monitor content while they're at work. And you can too if you need a trading buddy. Maybe you do a lot of your trading in the morning or mid-afternoon if you're on the uh, East Coast. Like stop by, you know, talk about maybe some of your bad trades, some of your good trades. It's a good time. It's a positive community that I'm happy to be a part of. Again, at 9 a.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash realthetagang. This podcast, the website, and stream are all made possible because of my patrons at patreon.com slash thetagang. Signing up helps keep the services up and alive as well as pay my own personal bills like health insurance. I do the podcast, website, and stream full-time and is my primary source of income. I feel grateful to be able to do this full-time and my focus on providing the best service possible for free. The podcast, website, and stream are all free and it'll stay that way. Signing up for Patreon does give you a few perks, so check it out again at patreon.com slash if you're interested in helping support. I want to give a shout out to my patrons here. That's Fancy Wolf, Los Pepes, Mods, Pasture Bedtime, Upstream Puddle, Seneca, Ensys88, EDC, Kevlar22, Nala, J Perkins86, Slow Motion, Rustier, The Jester, Grandpa 85, Chicken Dinner, Jacko, Lantern, Bob, Kaput, K21, Butler, Sumatrix, Statistically Random, uh, Turbo Ricky, Maestro XC, Lord Skeletor, Major, Tekel Me Elmo, Avrilian, Danub 9000, uh, McFly, Mr. Integrity, Rooster, Bearded Savage, Caveman, Andy V, Arfman, uh, Mememe, Can't Make Money, IRL, and Maltman1856. Um, again, all of this is possible and ad-free because of my patrons on patreon.com slash If you're looking to join the Discord community, that is the only way to join is through Patreon. Otherwise, yeah, again, Twitch and uh, the website, the podcast, that all that is free. Um, but if you were looking to join the Discord, um, the number one place to join is Patreon. Thank you. Dude, Thanksgiving has come up so fast. Someone had mentioned that um, you know Thanksgiving was soon, and it just did not occur to me that Thanksgiving is actually next week. The market's closed on Thanksgiving Day, closes early on um, 
on Black Friday. I should have mentioned that actually on the podcast, but oops. Notes for next year, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, Twitch has been doing really well. Um, like I mentioned, like the average viewers I had when I first came back was about like five or six viewers. Uh, but now I'm up to about 20 something like it's it's in the high 20s um, as of as of this last stream today that we've had on Friday, the 17th of November. And it feels good um, there. I think there's like roughly four to four, honestly, four to 10 people. It just depends on the day that sign up um, or not sign up rather that follow me on twitch.tv. So I do wonder where where do they they do come from cuz the stocks and bonds category on Twitch is very small. Um so maybe they're just naturally looking in that category and then finding me, but maybe also people on the podcast are tuning in. Um it just be really cool. Like if you if you are listening to this right now uh and you've, you know, found out about this stream because of the podcast, like if you mentioned that on in the chat, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, I'm always interested on how people find out about me because I don't pay for ads or anything for ThetaGame.com or the ThetaGame podcast or the ThetaGame stream. It's all like in-house and in-network. <laughs> I guess it's like TMO, like whatever HMO stands for or PPO, but TMO for Theta. Um, that, was a, that was a bad joke. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's that. Twitch has been doing pretty well. Um Looking about on the website, website traffic is nearing all-time high where there was a large amount of cool-off uh, since stocks became cool or uncool in 2022. Uh, but now it seems like stocks are becoming cool again. But there's a difference here now is that like I'm putting my full-time effort into this thing. Uh, and I think it's really been showing. I think my main indicator about putting my work full time into a project like this, uh, is Twitch to be honest, because that's where I show face Monday through Friday. And people understand like, wow, this person actually does this every day where, you know, maybe if I'm coding on the website or doing a large refactor and people don't hear from me on the say podcast or Twitch, they just might not, you know, be able to, I don't know, envision that I'm actually still doing this every day, just in a different way. But yeah, being on Twitch and seeing that number go up is probably one of the cooler parts of my work week that I look forward to um, because I get, it gets to be a place where I get to actually interact with you because the podcast is very one-dimensional where like I only get to speak to you. It's not like this is an active conversation. Uh, the podcast, or not the podcast, but the um, the website is a little bit better where like if you tag me on anything at Juni or at Juni5K, I can see it and I can reply. I see some pretty cool organic interactions where people are chatting with each other, telling each other about like, why did you enter this trade? Oh, I learned this, this, I learned that. That's pretty cool. That's been fulfilling. Um, and then, but the stream is just a whole different level. You know, people ask me questions directly in there. People are like asking like, oh, do you still see the death cross on Tesla? What do you think about this trade? Um, they ask me, like, oh, why did you open it up this way? You know, what are you, what are you looking for in this sort of trade? Very cool experience. Um, and now that, you know, my stream looks good because I spent, like, the weekend that it took to make it look good, I have more pride in it now. Um, I think I got my sound down as well. Like, I got it sounding a lot better. The podcast used to be really wonky with the audio, but I think I'm starting to get it's, – it's nearing the final point where I think it's, the again, the best it's ever been. It might get a little bit better if I, depending on, like, if I find any tidbits of information on how to make it sound better. Uh, but the stream as well. I think there was a lot of background sound on the stream before, but now that's like pretty minimal. And now I have all these cool transitions and stuff. And it's been a cool experience. Um, coding the website has also been fulfilling as of late. Um, I think uh, the features that I'm working on, they're getting a little bit more complex. Like, for example, if you sign in and you see your timeline, you'll notice that it doesn't refresh or that you see the same trades um, until you scroll all the way down, um, and then even after scrolling down, then you start seeing only trades that happen or that get acted upon near the top, and you're just kind of waiting for more information or for more trades. I want to make it so that you don't necessarily 
have to do or have to wait like i'd rather have a button that just says hey refresh or hey give me you know 10 more trades to look at that i haven't seen yet something like that is needed um, and i'm currently going through a few prototypes right now of which makes the most sense and which feels the best um and that's been yeah top of mind uh, this last you know week it's been you know implementing the events tab which i think is the best version that's ever been in very lightweight feels very fast i love it um the another thing that i can start doing now that i have the sort of events being listed um in that tab is like you know when you're opening a trade or maybe i can have like alerts come up on your home page on your dashboard like hey you have an open trade on tesla tesla earnings are next week you know i could have some small reminders like that i think that'd be kind of cool um yeah something that i am sort of i'm not worried about but something that i'm thinking about is um because i'm not on youtube yet and i do want to be on youtube i think youtube shorts is probably the reason the way that i would tackle the youtube situation is that because i do everything for free for aka i show my 5k account for free i show juni for free um, but I mean, besides my main account, Juni, um, open trades, um, but even that, even then I show it live on stream, right? It's hard finding ways to sort of monetize and actually make this, um, profitable where I'm not profitable yet. I'm close. I'm about $400 off of Patreon and about $200 off of Twitch, um, which makes me like maybe $600 away, $500 away from breaking even um, on just this operation in general um, because I don't want to just like sell out and just say like, oh, sign up for whatever, Thady Gang, and you get access to my trade alerts because that's what I'm trying to combat is like when people are saying those sort of things. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Reddit, for example, um, Discord as an example, where you get all of the core features for free, but you get like, if you pay, you get to have some cosmetics or some personalization features that, you know, are pretty cool. Or you can award or you could guild people stuff. Like, for example, if you could buy, oh, you know, you could buy gems on ThetaGang.com and then you can like award gems by like you know, liking someone's post and then leaving gems on that sort of trade log and then they get awarded gems and maybe that gives them something, something like that, where you like put money into thegame.com and that helps fund the mission and everything, um, help fund the business. Um, that'd be cool. But it's, again, hard to find what I'm going to go with because there's so many options. There's so many good, good ideas out there. Like, for example, maybe you pay... Um, some X amount of money to be able to have a profile picture, you know, uh, I think that'd be kind of cool. It's hard to regulate profile pictures, um, without putting an extensive amount of like guard work behind like file uploads and like what type of content can be rendered. So maybe I make it like a privilege and you get to, you know, help support the podcast stream and whatever, and pay some monthly thing that gives you some sort of feature. And that one of those features could be having a profile picture, um yeah there's plenty of people that want dark mode and i just want to let you know right now that dark mode will always be free i remember that being one of the things i've really stood by is i remember um another platform made it so that dark mode you had to pay for and i thought that was so whack (laughs) that i made a, a post about it um but anyway, yeah, dark mode will always be free. Going to be looking at other alternatives. Maybe it's merchandise, like shirts or something. But again, I don't want to just like mass produce just like basic shirts or something and then call that a drop. Like I want to put time and effort into finding like like a nice blank for the shirt, uh, like a, a good design for the shirt. Maybe you know, take time to draw something and then make each shirt like a little bit unique with that numbering system uh all that good stuff but i also understand that maybe merchandise i have in my head right now that merchandise should not be a regular sort of um a flow of income 
like right like if i if i do something like where shirts are always readily available maybe i could take an average of yearly sales and divide that uh per month and then that could help me uh break even like quote but if i'm gonna do specialized drops where like i i do um maybe one shirt per year i can't i can't rely on that sort of income and put that into my sort of uh break-even estimates so merchandise it's gonna be a fun thing to do but not gonna help me necessarily break even um so it's gonna be either attracting more people to patreon somehow or uh implementing some sort of like uh secondhand purchasing vehicle like the for for the the website like purchasing gems to be able to do things i don't know or however you know because discord uses discord turbo where you like buy gems to help you speed up your server um reddit has reddit gold where you buy gold to guild other people they again can have something similar but what does it unlock that's the thing that's the thing that i'm trying to find right now anyway uh thank you for listening this far if you have listened this far uh, these are just some of the thoughts that you know go through my head as this is again my full-time job I, i'm doing this every single part of the day minus when i'm uh, at jujitsu or eating or hanging out with my fiance and stuff but um this is my job now and it's cool that i get to think about this stuff in a full-time capacity where like before you know maybe i have some short term short-term uh list items that i would build for the website and do the podcast on a very regular schedule but my future of the sort of how i would make money how i would scale this that was never really thought about up until now that's my full-time job so this is a little bit of a sneak peek into what it's like, I guess, to sort of run your own company, be your own boss. Theta Gang is a company, Theta Gang LLC, um, and I'm the only member of the company, so this is very self-made, um, and I am the only host of the podcast and stream. I'm the only engineer of the website. It's all fun, a little scary, and also different. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to be doing this. And uh, very grateful to have people that listen and care what I have to say. And uh, I'll see everybody next week. Uh, I'll see everybody on Monday that go to the that goes to the stream at twitch.tv slash gang. Otherwise, if you're just here on the podcast, I'll see you next week on Monday. Later and bye-bye.